the unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect truth is seldom met with, even in a hundred thousand myriad kalpas. Now we can see and hear it. We can remember and accept it. I vow to make the Buddha's truth one with myself. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha. So today I'm going to talk about two suttas, sutras from the Udana. So the Udana um, translates as inspired utterances of the Buddha. Also, I've seen it translated as verses of uplift. And it is just like uh, the suttas that I talked about yesterday. It's in the minor collection in the Sutta Pitaka of the Pali Canon. The Udana itself consists of 80 discourses, usually very short, divided into eight chapters. And in the, the Udana, the Buddha responds to various situations or events and ends with a poetic verse inspired by what, he has, what has transpired. So the first uh, sutta I'm going to talk about is entitled The King, and it's very short, as is the second one, so I'm going to read them both. So let me read the king. Thus I have heard, at one time the Lord was staying near Savati in the Jetta wood at Anatatha Pintika, I think I'm getting that somewhat right, monastery. On that occasion, King Pasanadi of Kosala had gone to the upper story of the royal palace with Queen Malika. Then the king said to Queen Malika, is there anyone dearer to you than yourself? And she responds, there is no one great king dearer to me than myself. And then the king says to her, neither is there anyone dearer to me than myself. Then the king descended from the palace and went to visit the Lord, the Buddha. On approaching the Buddha, he prostrated himself, sat down to one side, and reported his, this conversation that he had just had. Then on realizing its significance, the Buddha utters on that occasion this inspired utterance. On transversing all directions with the mind, one finds no one anywhere dearer than oneself. Likewise, everyone holds her or himself most dear. Hence, one who loves himself or herself should not harm another. So, uh, yeah, makes, makes perfect sense, but it's a little, little different than it might be approached by some people. Um, I've heard Buddhist teachers that come from the East say how surprised they are that Westerners do not like themselves. Um, we tend to have an issue with self-loathing, um, or sometimes we're the other way. You know, we elevate ourselves above others. But that stems, too, from insecurity and uh, not confidence in ourselves. Okay? I think a lot of us would gulp and hesitate before we would say, there is no one dearer to me than myself. We would think that's cocky, over self-involved. Um, in fact... We are what we have. Each of us is who we have. 
Okay? It would be a good idea to like ourselves, maybe even love ourselves. Self-love does not mean that we love only ourselves and not other people. In Western culture, we try to bury and negate the self or we obsess about the self. Um, Conceit. Neither of these approaches works really. Fortunately for us, we have found a practice that finds the proper place for the self. So in Buddhism, we say there is no separate self. Uh, We are all connected. So no need to elevate the self or push the self down. One of the easiest ways to discover our true self is by simply not being selfish. The Buddha says clearly, one finds no one anywhere dearer than oneself, and consequently, one who loves themselves should not harm others. So loving oneself is not a selfish, protective love, but a kind and generous type of love that tries to benefit and not harm all beings, oneself being one of those included in all beings, because we sometimes don't include ourselves in all beings. There was an interesting quote from the Dalai Lama on my little calendar that you tear the pages off. I know something like wise sayings of the East or something like that. But the Dalai Lama says, our prime purpose in life is to help others. And if you can't help them, at least don't hurt them. You know, sometimes with in extreme situations with people, you just have to leave them be. But you can always offer them merit. And we should hope and pray for their welfare and well-being. The second sutta I would like to talk about today is also from the Udana, and it's entitled The Boys. I think it ties in really well with the king. Okay. And this is, again, a very short sutta, so I will read it. Thus have I heard, at one time the Lord was staying near Savati in the Jetta wood at Anta Anathapika's Pindika's garden, excuse me, monastery. That's a tough one for me to pronounce. On that occasion, a number of boys in between Savati and the Jetta wood were tormenting the fish in the pool. Then the Lord, having put on his robe in the forenoon and taken his bowl and outer cloak, was going to Savati to collect alms food when he saw these boys in between Savati and the Jetta wood tormenting the fish. On seeing this, he went up to them and said, Do you boys fear pain? Do you dislike pain? And they respond, Yes, revered sir, we do fear pain. We dislike pain. Then on realizing its significance, the Lord uttered on that occasion this inspired utterance. If you fear pain, if you dislike pain, do not do a bad deed openly or in secret. If you have done a bad deed or do one now, you will not escape pain, though you try to flee. So, you know, I thought that was... The Buddha didn't kind of preach fire and brimstone to the kids. He just basically taught them about karma and its consequences. If you do this, that will happen. 
So everyone knows pain and tries to do all we can to avoid it. But we don't always make the connection that our actions might be causing the pain for others and ourselves. We we might be able to see a one-sided pain, our pain, um, but we don't see the pain that is all around us. So I'll tell you a little story about myself here. Um, I I played college football, uh, and in my sophomore year, I had a quite a bad knee uh, injury. It happened in practice, not in a game, but in practice. So in those days, if you lost your game the past week, you scrimmaged live for the following week, which live means you full contact, just like a game. You know, um, I don't think they do that anymore because people get injured. So we were scrimmaging offense, defense against each other. I was on the defense, um, and uh, the play started. And someone, uh, out of nowhere, I didn't even see them, threw a running block on me. My leg was planted in the ground, but my right knee, where, where they came and hit me, um, it, just, it just went back and forth violently. Um, you know, it, something happened. And, and the, the interesting thing was it, it wasn't that I initially felt pain. What, what I felt was this sensation like I never had before in my body that something was really wrong. Okay? And, and, it, and it, something was wrong. I had torn the ligaments off the bone on the side and the back of my knee. So my knee was, you know, it wasn't attached really. So... As it went in those days, and this is the early 1970s, uh, late, late 60s, um, I played on the injury for a week, which is totally silly, you know, but, but that's what you did in those days. Um, you, um, before practice, you, got, you went in the whirlpool, maybe that brought down some of the swelling, and then you got taped, and then you tried to practice, and you struggled, and... You know, you, you, it was horrid taking the pain off, uh, pa- taking the tape off. You had to kind of rip it off yourself. But um, you, you took the tape off, you went home. That night, your knee, you got water on the knee again. Your knee went way out and it got really hot. You know, this kind of just kept going on and on. So after a week of swelling and hobbling, um, I was sent to a doctor who basically said, you got to be kidding, because he took my knee. This isn't too gross for you. Uh, he took my knee, he put, put one hand on my kneecap, and he, and he grabbed my ankle, and he bent it all the ways that you shouldn't be able to bend your knee. So, you know, it was, he, he said, you need surgery now. So I had surgery. Um, boy, it was painful after. In those days, they put you in a full cast, crutches, no weight-bearing, uh, for almost three months. Three, excuse me, almost four months. Uh, and, um, you know, after four months, I got the cast off. My, my leg was just the size of my arm. It, it really from it atrophied. Um, and it, it was um, a lot of pain for the rehab. And, in fact, in the rehab in those days, there was no rehab. I learned how to walk at the hospital again, uh, and then I, I was kind of on my own, and... Fortunately, I hit upon swimming. You know, initially I started by just holding the, uh, 
my hands on the side of the pool and, and trying to kick because I, I had no strength in my leg. But anyway, you know, I built it back up. It took me 10 months. I bu- built my leg back up. I came back and I played my junior year. Uh, my knee was not quite the same. I wasn't as fast as, as I had been, and I wasn't that fast to begin with. And I wasn't as agile. I was agile. Um, What's more to the point, though, after coming back with something that caused, where you had severe pain for a long period of time, um, I was really conflicted in my mind about the game I was playing, Um, the pain, the fear, and sometimes the intimidation that went on in those days. When it really came down to it, you know, and through that year, I, I realized I didn't really want to get hurt again, and I really, actually didn't really want to hurt people because you, you know, that's a it's a violent game, and you you end up hurting other people. And I'm sure I did, in the days of my playing, that I hurt other people, and I'm not particularly proud of that. Okay. Um, so after my junior year of football, which I really struggled physically and mentally. I walked away from it. I said, no, no more. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to hurt people. Another story about me here. When I was a kid, we used to catch and torture bees in the garden. I mean, kids do this. It's like the kids with the fish. You know, unfortunately, I didn't have the Buddha walk along and, you know, helped me with some awareness of what I was doing, but we would catch these bees. I think, you know, you, you you catch things that you're a little bit afraid of and then you've got them contained. And it, it was, wasn't a good idea, but we, we did it. Um, so in my later life, I've had a number of bee and wasp stings. I mean, I've walked into wasps' hives and um, been stung all the way up my back. Um, and I think, you know, it's partly I was where I was, and the and the bees or wasps were where they were. But I think it's partly my my karmic come comeuppance from what I did as a young person. So in this sutta, the Buddha skillfully points out that as you do unto others, it will be done unto you. If we are gentle, kind, and generous to others, it comes back to us. If we benefit others, we too get benefits. If we create an atmosphere of welfare and fearlessness for others, we too will know welfare and fearlessness. On the other hand, if we commit harmful, painful deeds of body, speech, and mind in regard to others, and of course we can do this in regard to ourselves too, we too will will know harm and pain. We can try to hide away from karma, but at some point it will come back on us. So much better it is to treat others as we would like as we would like to be treated ourselves. When I was a a young boy, my dad got something from work, um, which had the goal. This is you know basically the golden rule to treat others how you'd like to be treated yourself. But it, but it had the golden rule in all kinds of different religions, and I found it fascinating because you know they were all really similar. So this is something that human beings know. Uh, it's okay to hold oneself dear and near to oneself. 
And we have to complete the circle by holding all beings dear. Even if we have a difficult time with them, uh, we, we can hope for their welfare and well-being. We can generate goodwill for them. Karma is not vindictive. Sometimes our intention was not to cause harm to another. We were just ignorant of what our actions might cause. So intentions and ignorance don't free us from karmic consequence. But in that karma definitely has a compassionate element to it. Our consequences may be lightened. If after the fact we realize that we have caused harm to another, we can apologize and make amends. This is the proper thing to do, and our karma may be lightened. In both of these situations, we take full responsibility for our actions, and part of that responsibility is that we bear the consequences with our heads up. It's said that only a Buddha fully understands the law of karma, the workings of karma. But remember, karma is not vindictive. Buddhism is not a vindictive religion. Karma is about our actions, results, consequences, and it has compassion. Karma is really the mechanics of why we suffer and how we can put an end to that suffering. How we understand karma can have a transformative effect on the way we relate to our thoughts, feelings, actions, and to those around us. And that's my short Dharma talk for the day.